You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the 26th chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Sydney. I'm Nia. And I'm Annie. Most of us have had that moment while we're reading a book where something in the book, a character, an event, a line of dialogue, speaks to us so significantly that it stays with us long after we put the book down. Sometimes we don't initially know why the idea stays with us. Sometimes it strikes a chord immediately and we know exactly how poignant that thought or book is to us in the moment. That's what today's book stack is all about. Books that, for one reason or another, spoke to us. Nia, why don't you start us off and tell us what book spoke to you? So the first one I'm going to start with is called Book of Shadows by Phyllis Curot. I'm sure I butchered her last name. Sorry about that. It is actually a memoir. It came out in 1998. I've had this book forever. (laughs) I've had it a long time. I bought it when I was starting my pagan path years and years ago. And I had no idea where to start at the time because this was fairly early on in the days of the internet. You had Celtic Connection, I think was the website online, but otherwise... We're in Utah. I was in Utah, folks. Let's be honest here. I wasn't sure where to start. (laughs) So this was a book that kind of popped out and I I hadn't found any confidence to trust my instincts. So this was a really good one to start out with. She starts the book in 1978. So just to kind of set the stage there, let's think about the late 70s, early 80s. She's finishing law school and is looking at working with, she started, she was in New York She ended up in D.C. working on, she's trying to help fight against union busters. So very poignant for what's going on today, too. And it just kind of follows over the next few years as she's building up her career. But there's something kind of missing there, too. And she ends up getting pulled into a witchcraft path without having any background in it. So it was very, very interesting to read at the time. And reading it when I did, it really, really spoke to me on so many levels. And it's interesting too, you know, you have that desire when I, there's that desire I had when I was reading it to find people to work with and to discuss witchy things. And it's actually been fulfilled in the year since then, but I never could have imagined it in the, it's probably been at least 15 years since I got this book, if not longer. And it's very beautifully written. So it really spoke to me on a lot of different levels. It spoke to me on, oh, this is a beautiful read this is a nice narrative. Oh, this is an amazing story to be listening to. I feel like I'm having this conversation with her in the room while I'm reading it. And it's one I keep thinking about years and years on where I go, oh have yeah. You read, have you reread it? I have started rereading it recently. Have you? So, yep. And I'm already finding things I'm pulling out of it again that didn't, that went over my head, you know, as a some, someone who was in their late teens or something at the time. Right. So it's That's been more cool. than 15 years. <laughs> It's just thinking about that going, wait a minute, <laughs> let's Every map. once in a while, we date um, ourselves again. <laughs> it's true. So it's okay, Nia. You're aging yeah. like a fine wine mm-hmm. instead of a cheese. This is true. I appreciate that. I I'd like rather age like cheese. wine, like good wine. Yes. <laughs> a fine wine. So exactly. So that's my first one. It's very, it, it speaks to me on, on my witchy path. And as I, you kind of go through these phases where you start over again and you start over again. And this is one of those, I'm kind of hitting a new beginning in a new phase. And so it's very poignant that this has now come back to, hey, maybe I should read that one again, especially as it had such an impact the first time through. I love um, rereading books when I'm in a different phase of my life. And you get they so much out of it. If they still speak to me, that's an amazing book. Yeah. 
especially yeah. if it speaks on a different level. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's a more poignant version version of watching kids' cartoons and going, oh, "There's an adult joke in there that I did not get as a kid." <laughs> So, although on a far more serious and like in-depth, you know, note as opposed to sometimes, uh, sometimes not. <laughs> yeah. So that's my, my first one is probably a little bit more profound in a nonfiction way. My second one is actually one I talked about before. It's called Dreams Underfoot. It's by Charles DeLint. It was originally published in 1993. It's a collection of short stories set in Newford, which is in Canada. It's a fictional place set in Canada, which is not a fictional place. No, um, Canada's thank you for real. clarifying. <laughs> oh, Just want to be clear. <laughs> it's about 400 pages and about 19 short stories. So if you're looking for something short and sweet, definitely look at this one. As opposed to one of his other books that is 500 pages and is one solid story. Wow. Set in the same That's same place. That's a big difference. It is a big difference. Has and he I didn't written other books? How he's written, uh, he's written several. Okay. He's a very prolific writer. Is he? Yeah. And this one I used to keep in my car for emergency entertainment. So you go to the doctor's office and you it's need your book. Idea. You know, again, back in the days before you had it all on your phone. Or you if I got stuck behind yourself. a train. I know. Well, when they're profound, they go back that far, right? That's true. It's true. So, and to be fair, I do keep a book in my car anyway. I still have a book of short stories I keep in my car. I don't, but I keep multiple shirts and a blanket. I don't know what emergency I think I'm going to have, but I am prepared. (laughs) No, you think you're going to have snow. Uh, Um, Today's shirts are always nice. Yeah. You know, we've, we've now entered spring as a season. So it starts out nice and snows in the afternoon. Yeah. So it snowed this afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Because Utah has what we call fake spring. Oh, we're on like our seventh fake spring. Yeah. Texas is just full of fake spring. I think you've all had more snow than we've had. I think the most snow we had was a dusting and it was gone by the afternoon. Oh, yeah. We had more snow than that this year. Yeah, we've had no snow. Uh, So um, anyway, but but back to back to dreams underfoot. Back to dreams (laughs) underfoot. Back to the book. So this is one of the first. (laughs) This is the first urban fantasy I ever read which considering how much time I have spent in that genre since then is saying a lot. He set the bar very, very high. And it's, I don't always remember all of the plots. You have the main character, you've got one of the main main characters you follow named Jilly. She's a painter who paints more and sees more than in the regular world. Like just all the different layers and all the different veils. And Jordy, who's a fiddler, who plays... To more than just human clientele and there's a lot of pull of artists are their own kind of magic users they have a different eye to see the world and musicians are the same so you already have those elements coming in there's a lot of other characters that the the big book i was talking about Wittershins, is actually a focus on those two characters so that's why i'm like i remember them but it's a very complex world with lots and lots of people and i have a hard time remembering real people little in the fiction ones so it's not a bad thing it's just kind of how my brain works <laughs> but it, despite the fact i don't always remember all the details i remember how the book makes me feel i can look at the cover and i get it all over again i don't even have to pick it up to get that feeling of it's really really hard to describe it's oh it just kind of it's like a warm feeling where you're like oh i'm looking at a familiar friend it's i like going home it is and I remember when I was reading it, it was, this is very real. This is very vivid. And when we all read, we all have that. A lot of people will see a moving picture in their heads. 
I don't always get that with books. I get more feelings. And this one was very, very immersive. He's very immersive. It's almost, it's called urban fantasy, but it doesn't feel like it's fantasy. I feel like that place exists and I could go there and you would see these things, even though they might not be something you would see in the mundane world. So for me, it's it's a huge, powerful impact to have that feeling. I, know, I haven't gotten that from any other books I've read. It's just Charles DeLint. Yeah. So I have to sit. I was going to ask if you get that from his other books also or just this one. I do. It's very, there's books where you pick them up and you can't put them down because you got to see what happens. And with his, it's like I've completely immersed. I, I feel like that. I'm there. So, you know, when I look at it, it, it's like coming home. It is very much like coming home when I pick up this book or when I look at this book. And I have a ton of his books on my shelf. But the shorts that got me into it are the ones that always really get me the most. So, and fun fact about Wittershins, I broke a book club with it because I didn't realize how big the book was. I got it as an ebook. Oh, you don't take that size and book to a book club? No. And no. I was like, yeah, it's my turn to pick. And I think we should pick this one because I didn't realize how big it was. We never oh. met again. <laughs> and I feel so bad about it because oh. I found the print one later and went, it's like five or 600 Whoops. pages. It's huge. It's That's huge. so sad that you broke a book club with a book that you love. I know. And it was a work book club. So these are people I worked with. Oh, no. <laughs> oh you guys already think I'm weird. Let me make it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they revived it after I left. <laughs> Maybe they Why? revived it while you were there and just didn't tell you. Always possible. Oh, that would be sad. I don't think they did. No. Um, if they did, it wouldn't have hurt my feelings. But um. <laughs> Because you broke I would them. have understood. <laughs> I felt so bad. I didn't realize how big it was because an ebook, you don't have that visual right. it's feedback true. like you, you really do with don't. a print book. So, but those That's are my two funny. books. Right. <laughs> That's so my sad. confession. <laughs> um, so those are mine. Sydney, what about you? I very rarely have a whole book that speaks to me. It's usually a concept or a line that sticks out. And one of the books that I wanted to pick that really has a a resonance with me was Incarnate by Jody Meadows, but I just barely talked about that one a couple of episodes ago. So instead I went with two others that had pieces that jumped out at me and, and have stuck with me since I read them, which was a while ago. My first book is Matched by Ali Condi. It came out in 2010 and I did read it in 2010. And the concept from that book has stuck with me since I read it the very first time. I've never gone back and reread this book. But since it came out in 2010, like it still pops up in my head off and on all the time. I've gone back and reread it. Have you? Mm -hmm. Did it stick with you the second time? No, <laughs> because I'm not. Oh, here we go. Are you ready? Because I'm not. Gosh, how old was I when that came out? Math is early hard. Early 20s. I was in my early 20s. I think so. Yeah. Um, because I was also in my early 20s. Slightly less yeah. earlier than you, but still. Yeah, but 20s. I already. By the time this came out, I had a kid. Yeah, you did. I think yeah. almost two. Almost two. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not the whole book that's, that that sticks with me. I don't resonate with this entire book. Initially, okay, you can. It's a good book. It really no, is. No, but I don't. <laughs> I liked the book. I liked the book because I was, when I first picked it up, I was drawn to the idea in my early 20s that you're just told who your match is. And it's like, poof, here you go. Here's your perfect match. How easy is this? For those who have not read the book, it's a dystopian novel that takes place in a world that has saved the 100 best of everything and nothing else was kept. Nothing else was deemed of value. So the 100 best songs, the 100 best books, the 100 best pieces of art, the 100 best essays, the 100 best of everything. And they have this world where everyone is matched and put in their own little box 
and told exactly what they're good at and exactly what they're going to do. And everyone just kind of goes, oh, well, this is the way it is. And suddenly the main character gets matched with two guys instead of one. And then she finds out that, you know, there was a glitch in the system. And she's like, wait, but there aren't supposed to be errors. If there's errors, what else are they wrong about? And she starts going down this pathway of self-discovery. It's a cute little YA dystopian novel. Trilogy. And it's trilogy. But Matched is a novel. And it's a cute little YA novel. It is. It is. (laughs) Um, But it is a trilogy. And the covers are nice. The covers are beautiful. They kind of match each other. They do. They do. They're lovely. Mm -hmm. The concept that stuck with me had nothing to do with the actual plot of the book. The older I get, the more it keeps popping into my head and, and reminding me of this idea that the people in her world didn't know how to write letters with handwritten letters. Like they couldn't write letters That's on their right. own. That's right. They couldn't form their own letters. That's they didn't right. write their, they didn't come up with their own ideas because they just would select the sentiments on the screen that they wanted and organize it. And they organized someone else's thoughts into their own lines. And they would, you know, therefore create their own composition from someone else's ideas. But Ooh. they never had to handwrite anything. Everything was just pre-selected text. And there's this whole scene in the book that I remember where the main character writes a note to her grandfather to wish him well. I think he's ill. And he makes a remark about how she's so proud of the composition she created, but nothing in the writing is actually hers. And at the time, I didn't realize why it had struck me, like had struck a chord in me. But as we fall deeper and deeper into technology, I see this dystopian novel coming closer and closer to fruition. You have prediction text, right? Where you start to type something and it tries to predict not only the word that you're going to say, but the next words that you're coming up with. Mm -hmm. You have chat GPT and other AI functions that are coming out now and creating these things. And people are starting to categorize things into best and worst. And everything is, you know, if it's not this great big thing, then it doesn't matter. And I just, we keep getting closer to something that is dystopian and I don't want it to come true, but holy crap, it looks like it's getting close. It's a little scary. That's, that's really scary. You know, that makes, that makes me think of Twitter (laughs) where, Uh you know, you're really just sharing what someone else said. Yeah. It's just a, you're not adding anything. I mean, I know sometimes it is adding, but a lot of times it's just retweeting yeah well i watched this and then a hundred times after that someone yeah yeah i saw this video of this lady that was talking about how to improve your branding and i'm like improve your branding for what how can i apply this to education so i start watching it and she was showing how you put these buzzwords or these keywords into this chat generator and it populates headlines for Mm -hmm. your instagram or your twitter that you can, and it, and it, then it schedules to auto post so that it just creates all of this content for you that you have had nothing to create, no say in, except for the keywords that you gave it. And it created everything from that. And suddenly you're supposed to be this, you know, content creator. You created nothing. Right. And how yeah. do you then go and talk about the thing that you didn't actually create? No one cares when it comes to social media. Absolutely nobody cares because yeah. you're getting clicks and you're getting true. views and, and you're making money the, off of it. Yeah. And, and the faster yeah. you generate it, the more hits you get. And and no one cares. That's true. Yeah. Totally right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's my first book. It's a good my one. Second, thank you. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, pe- you know, people are creating novels written by ChatGPT. Like, yes. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Like, oof, oof. Yeah. <laughs> good times. So my second book <laughs> is Witch and Wizard by james patterson it's another series 
the first book came out in 2009. And this one, as I was reading it, struck me from the very beginning. Whereas as matched by Ali Condi, I didn't know why it struck a chord in me. And as I got older, I just kept remembering and thinking about it over and over again. And I started to realize why it mattered. Witch and Wizard, the chord was struck in me from the very beginning. There's a very overt plot in this book about how easy it is to pit an us versus a them and start another holocaust oh. like the whole the whole point is to show how easy it is to create catastrophe okay uh, in this book the adults are trying to round up all of the teenagers with magical powers and kill them it's a kids versus adult ya book but the dialogue and the demonstrations of hate that build throughout the series show just how easy it is to fall down that slippery slope and we've seen just how easy it is to sow and build division with the political landscape that started to shift in 2016 oh yeah and And so many thoughts so many thoughts us versus (laughs) that mentality and all of the acts of hatred and violence that have occurred in this us versus them mentality and how easy it is for it to escalate to the point where you can't pull it back yeah it's i worry that that's where we're headed now because i mean look at the the genocidal legislations that are going on legislation that's going through right now against you know all of our our trans siblings like that's that's a very us versus them yeah and it's yeah you know yeah that is you picked some heavy stuff you did (laughs) don't worry i'll bring it back great (laughs) but as I i can yeah i can see why that stuck with you as as an adult it just things that happen it my brain keeps popping back to this book. When did you because read this book? I, I read it actually shortly after it came out. It came out in 2009. Okay. And I think I probably read it 2010, 2011. Okay. Um, I don't think I got, I don't think I read it right as it came out because my copy is paperback, but it's, it's a well-worn paperback. So yeah, but it's, I mean, it's a fun series in terms of like, it's a, it's a well-written series, but. How many books are in the series? I have five. I think oh. that's where it stops. Okay. That's kind of a lengthy series. I don't know. James Patterson is a rather prolific writer. Yes. And he yeah. tends to he tends to co-write. That's true. In order That's to true. get more novels out quickly. So uh it's only him for the first book and then I think the next four books have co-authors. Okay. But you know if they're co-authors or if the other authors wrote it and he just put his name on it? I have no idea. Oh, yeah, he does that too. He does he? that. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot. Just to help sell the book and get credit uh, for it. Yeah, he gets money from it. So because he's a name that people will read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have feelings about it, but this is this is not the chapter for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just curious if he's yeah, if they're co-authors or if he's just like Yes, I wrote this oh. rubber stamp. Uh-huh. So. Okay, so this is the first book. I'm holding up the cover for. Oh, the it's a W on fire. It is. All of the all of the covers have a letter on fire. Does it spell out a word? It does not. The Darn. alphabet, according to James Patterson, is W G F K L. Man, that would have been awesome. But so here's his name, <laughs> and here's the co-author's name, an itty bitty little subplot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know. It's probably a co-author just because of how it's it looks like it is on there yeah. yeah yeah but that's how all of them look so i have no idea how much of a hand he had in it or not if i all read right. james patterson's books i might be able to tell because so, you know, every author sounds so different but i don't know if i've ever read the one fun thing books. about james patterson books is that the chapters are really short oh, oh wow they are. like really? there are some three pages <laughs> there are some that are a page there are some that are two pages um yeah chapter wow. one uh 
chapter one is technically two pages so here we go oh and we're done okay so they're like snack size yeah i'd like to think because it's always him with a female author and it's it's a double narrative there's a a female protagonist and a male protagonist oh see i could see that definitely being co-written i can see that like maybe she writes the female protagonist and he Mm -hmm. writes the male protagonist Mm -hmm. i could see that being a thing because the chapters are so short does that make it disjointed or not so much it faster to no read, it's such a fast read yeah that's cool all of a sudden you're like whoa how did i get on chapter 32 i've only been reading for 10 minutes <laughs> then you remember <laughs> oh each chapter is a page <laughs> and then i remember oh yes this is the james patterson book <laughs> it's like eating mini uh-huh, yes, how did i get uh-huh. through the whole bag oh wait <laughs> oh wait they were many except that your vocabulary is growing and not your waist size yes sure it's i have patterson, two hands. who knows i can do both <laughs> I am multi-talented as a multitasker. Right on. Check me out. On that note, Annie, bring us back. What books did it, you talk it, about? I think it's interesting that you both chose books that helped shape you at a specific time in your life. And I kind of did the same, except that mine are a lot more recent because I don't know. I feel like my life goes through these little stages. Well, you had two kids, and then there was a giant gap, and then you right. had another two kids. So you kind of <laughs> did go through some like pretty big stages. I sh- yeah, I, I really change up my life every five years. So I don't <laughs> get things interesting. That's what it is. <laughs> yep, gotta keep it interesting. <laughs> every five years, some monumental thing happens. Anyway, so my two books come from my first couple of years teaching in Texas. Uh, the first one I chose is Dear Fahrenheit four fifty one, and it's Love and Heartbreak in the Stacks by Annie Spence. That has a double title. It must be nonfiction. It is nonfiction. Check and me it was, out. I know when I was typing it, I thought, oh. They're going to notice the pattern. (laughs) It was published in 2017. And as soon as I heard about it, I bought it for myself and a couple of coworkers. And I keep giving it away and buying new copies. Because I think all all ELAR teachers and librarians should have a copy of this book. Just because it's so fun. I use it as a mentor piece for students. And I noticed that my own writing has changed based on the patterns and things that I pick up based from this book. So for readers... Or listeners who are not teachers, explain what ELAR is. English language arts and reading. And notice I didn't say elementary school. English language arts and reading is typically middle and high school because I don't. the books that are discussed inside of Dear Fahrenheit 451 are books that teens, young adults, and adults know, not younger readers. Gotcha. Great. There's a couple in there that are, I think Little Blue Truck is in there. That's a thing, right? I have it in front of me, so I'm going to look it up real fast. There are a couple of children's books in here. Oh, Yertle the Turtle, my truck book. That's it. But it's as a mom discussing her issues with those books. Uh, okay. Not their literary merit. Okay. The title of the book explains the contents very well. These are Annie Spence, who's a librarian. There are her letters to books. Okay. So there are love letters and breakup letters and hate mail and confessions and all the things that she feels after reading these books as a librarian. So she talks about how like there's a letter in here for uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, and it talks a little bit about the patrons that check it out (laughs) 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 and how she feels about that. (laughs) Yeah, it's very entertaining. I think I need this book in my life. Oh, you do. (laughs) You do need this book in your life, Dia. So... The story that, or not the story, the chapter that I picked out was 
written to The Hobbit. There is Fahrenheit 451 in here, but there's some language, so I didn't choose that one. And there's also an excerpt in here for a 1970s book all about cooking corn <laughs> and how it shouldn't be so at the library. Confused. <laughs> so confused. Right? So the one I chose was The Hobbit. And here is what she says. This is the beginning and the ending of her letter to The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. She says, I don't remember how I acquired you. You've always been there on my shelf, which was magical and gave me good feelings about you. So when my nephew told me he was reading you, I thought he and I could read together and have a mini book group about it. Bonding. And then there's some middle stuff while she reads the book. And the end says, you are a brave and clever and longer than you seem book. We just want different things. Off you go, Annie. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> and that's how I feel about The Hobbit. That's exactly how I feel about The Hobbit. Oh, some kid in my life is reading it. Yes, let's do this. Just kidding. This was not the journey I wanted Never to go again. on. Never again. Never <laughs> again. So it's 244 pages. And each letter is about one to three pages. And it's a small book. Like, I'm holding it up. It's really not compared to my phone, which isn't that big. It's not not okay. your standard size book. So it's not very big. But I suggest this to everyone to just get your feelings out about books. And it's okay. <laughs> she, all, I know it's. I want to read more, but I'm not going to. She also includes the fictional Dewey Decimal System journey that you would go on to find this book. Okay. So for the Corns of Poppin book that I didn't share with you because it's just so corny. Oh, oh there's a lot. There are so many in this one, <laughs> but I skipped it. The Dewey Decimal track that you would go on says home economics, food and drink, food history, and then the author, then popcorn, more popcorn, even more popcorn. <laughs> so it's full of all sorts of library things and feelings about books and snark and a little bit of language so it's right up my alley yes and it, <laughs> it sounds with me. perfect for you nia it stuck with me because i like to share what i read and Thank i you. like to be very honest about what i read Mm -hmm. and she's very honest about it she doesn't sugarcoat anything she just says this is a great book she respects the book. She respects the author, but says there was a time and place for you in the 50s. In and Kentucky. that's where it stays. Yeah, And that's where you should be staying. Not in, you know, 2015 in New York. Just not the right place for you. Yeah. And I really try to explain to people that someone, when they wrote this book, they spent a lot of time on it and they thought they were doing something great. You might not think that. <laughs> That's okay. You might you disagree. Still, you might disagree, but you should still respect the time that they put into it, the effort, the thought that was there. And I think she does yeah. a good job with that. Okay. So Nia, I will send nice. you one in the mail. Sydney, I will send one to you also. Amazon. Yes. Direct to your house. Okay. I, I really better. think all book people should own this. It's so Super corny, very snarky, but there is a time and a place in your life for that. And it's okay. Not everything okay. has to be literary gold to stick with you forever. That's no. true. And I think I picked two I YA books. That's a good way to look at it. You did pick two YA books. Okay. The second one I chose is I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica L. Sanchez. This one was also published in 2017. 
I must have been going through some stuff. You must have. Interesting. Hmm. I read this book because it was a National Book Award finalist for Young People's Literature in 2017. It also won some other awards or was nominated. It was nominated okay. for the Lincoln Award in 2020, and it won the Thomas Rivera Mexican-American Children's Book Award in 2018. So when this came out, it was kind of a big deal. Okay. I read this when it first came out when I was teaching, and I have since recommended it to everyone that I know. When I explain the book to people, I say that you can change the title to whatever your life is. So I'm not your perfect fill in the blank, right? I'm not your perfect pickleball playing grandpa. I'm not your perfect... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was just thought of my dad. <laughs> the fact that that was the first thing that fell out of your mouth makes me giggle so hard. Right. I thought of my dad. <laughs> hey, dad. What's up? I am not your perfect elevator engineer. I mean, husband. if you're an elevator engineer, I'd, I'd prefer you to be pretty close to perfect. At least but with I'm that not. aspect of your life. And I'm yeah. still okay. I'm just not perfect. Oh, no, the engineers don't have to be perfect. It's the technicians that do. The ones that actually build it that have to be perfect. Yeah, I'd like to think the engineers hopefully have it right to begin with. See, but they have a million <laughs> yeah. people check it. The technician True. doesn't always have a million people to check it. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> anyway. So this is a fiction story. Uh, it's YA. So the characters... Hey, we both picked YA. Right? There must be something there. The character, let's see, Julia is in high school and Olga is in college. So Julia is trying not to be her sister Olga. And according to Julia, Olga does all the things that a Mexican daughter should do. She stays home for college. Uh, she lives at home. She helps her mom. She does everything else to perfection. And Julia does what she wants. And she has some feelings about that. Then Olga dies in a tragic accident and Julia becomes the only daughter in the house. And then she goes on a detective hunt to find out more about her sister. And her parents grieve the loss of Olga, but in doing so, Julia feels that they're pointing out her flaws left and right. And she grieves, but in the beginning, she's grieving more about her loss of freedom than the loss of her sister. Mm. And when I was reading this okay. book, it brought up a lot of stuff. It is written really, really well. It sounds like a pretty uncomplicated plot. But the way that Julia and Olga are developed as characters is just so layered. And that's why I can recommend it to anyone. You don't have to be Mexican to read this book. You don't have to be a girl to read this book. You can fit in wherever, whatever you are doing. Because we're people and we're complicated. Right. So as I was reading this, I started thinking about the questions. Does Julia enjoy her life because Olga is the perfect daughter, so she doesn't have to be? Does she envy Olga for being exactly what her parents want? After Olga dies, Julia finds some information that could tarnish Olga's memory as the perfect daughter. So does Julia bring Olga down even after death to bring herself up? How much of herself did Olga have to hide to be Julia's perfect older sister? So is Olga fitting a role to help Julia so she could do whatever she wanted to? Was Olga really perfect or did Julia make her that way? It's a very complicated book. It doesn't seem like it. It sounds like it. But it's very complicated. And I, it sounds good. It sounds it was a little... really, really but, good. Yeah. I just brought up a lot of thoughts about my own childhood and raising my kids and the things that any young adult or anyone with siblings is going through, are you really going through the things that you think you are? Are they really as bad as you think they are? Or are your perceptions of everyone else causing you to feel that way? Fascinating. It was a lot of thought. Yeah. 
but in a YA book, so it was easy to digest. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for that recommendation. You're welcome. Yeah. I will not be Amazon shipping that to your houses. Thank you. you. Get that one on your own. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good, but you can get it on your own. That's That's fair. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's now time for our triviality segment, and we're going to shake it up a little bit. We're not going to do a competition. Instead, we're going to each share one unique bit of trivia from our research about today's topic. Hopefully, you can learn something new to use at Trivia Night. Nia, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? So I'm I'm amused with my trivia point because Annie asked how many books Charles DeLint has written. Sorry. I actually know that. No, that's okay. So it was a good question. So he started writing in 1983 and was living the dream as a full-time writer at that point, which sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, But he published roughly 40 books between 1984 and 1997. Wow. And and has written 71 total in his career. But that includes some translations. Between 84 and 97. So in 13 years. Uh Uh-huh. If I do my math right, pretty sure it's 13. Published 40 books in 13 years. Yeah. So he's very prolific. Did he write them all himself? Yes. Okay. They are his books. That means that that he (laughs) roughly had to publish a book every three months oh my gosh which i mean if you have a backlog of writing and that's all you do yeah and an amazing editor yeah yeah wow yeah i i kind of wonder if it's the publishing industry has been less has become more bogged down as time has gone on i'm sure versus how it used to be yeah yeah but yeah so that's yeah but good for him to have an audience that will accept 40 books in 13 years yeah that's awesome so there you go that is my piece of trivia what's your sydney so mine is about james patterson we talked about how he's a bit of a prolific writer that may or may not have written all of his own books (laughs) and that becomes very apparent when you find out that he has written or co-written more than 200 books since 1976 that's 47 years so in 47 years he's written or co-written more than 200 books didn't he just write which means uh uh-huh okay just checking yep but 114 of those 200 have made it on the bestseller list wow which pretty decent surprise me with how i mean i just from a, a reference perspective with yeah, the libraries. As soon as there is a pre-order on the website, there are mm. hundreds of holds on that book. Like it's yeah. just if people read one, they seem to really like all of them. So the fact that they he's constantly on the top of the bestsellers list, he must be doing me. something right. When I was thinking about accessibility yeah. too, yeah, books are found in the grocery store. They're found at Target. They're found at Walmart. They're everywhere. You don't have yeah. to search it, out James Patterson books. And when you're yeah, talking yeah. bestsellers, that is what it sounds like. The yeah. best space sellers. Yeah. So it's the and ones the thing that have is, bought the most. Yeah. With his books, they're very fast paced action. Everything mm-hmm. is go, 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 go. Right. So he obviously has something in his skill set with pacing and his plot style. Oh, yeah. He's he super also, talented. He also doesn't use $10 words. His writing itself, the words itself are accessible are. to the common public, which is why they're so widely desired because no one feels dumb for reading his books. That's true. And I feel like the protagonists that he has are usually, they have careers that are very, again, accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this one, this is a witch and a wizard. I could be that any day if I chose to. I just don't want to today. The lingo that the character uses aren't, it's not specific. It's not super mathematical, super scientific. It's just. Well, and even, even with his very, wildly out there book with witches and wizards or he also wrote maximum ride as a, a series that was turned into a movie mm-hmm. nope i don't know that... it but <laughs> i'll uh-huh, keep going like yep 
Um, read it, but I it's talking. like kids with angel wings. Anyway, you have these highly fantastical <laughs> urban fantasy plots, but you still have the accessibility and you still have relatability despite being very out there. And you mm -hmm. still have issues that you can relate to. Like the fact that the Witch and Wizard series has to do with the us versus them mentality and the danger of that dialogue. So, I mean, there's a reason he's accessible, he's on, a, he's accessible on a lot oh, of yeah. level, a lot of levels. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Annie, what is your trivia fact? I went to our last episode where we talked about literacy in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so I looked up which country has the highest number of libraries per capita. Do they also have the highest literacy rate? No. I just looked huh. up libraries. I'm a very one-dimensional person. <laughs> That's turns a lot, but keep going. <laughs> turns out it's Warsaw, Poland, which okay. was surprising to me. Yeah, that was really surprising to me. Not, I just, sometimes I forget about Poland. It's a small country that went through World War II. It very, it very much did. Yeah. 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 And I don't know. I just sometimes it's home forget of Auschwitz. about Poland. It is. So they have 11 and a half libraries per 100,000 citizens. That's a lot of libraries. That's a lot of libraries. That's awesome. Fantastic. Isn't that awesome? And that I wonder, you know, why don't we have more? And I'm not going to get into it other than our country is huge. And I live in an area that is not walkable. Yeah. And yeah. I know European countries are a lot more walkable than a lot of areas in the United States. And when I was in Portland, Oregon, there were a lot more libraries because they had neighborhood libraries. Yeah. Right. We don't have that in Texas. Again, not going to go into it, but, but these. But I'm, I'm just going into no, transportation. No, I there's, could get into. We we could definitely yeah, have a very a nice in-depth more discussion about that, but we won't. So when I think about eleven and a half libraries per a hundred thousand citizens, that makes me think that there are a lot of little neighborhood libraries, and a lot of interlibrary mm -hmm. loaning happening. Yeah, and I just thought that was interesting. That's fascinating. So if you want That's to awesome. go on a library tour in you know the world, go to Warsaw. Go to Poland. Yeah, go to Poland. I like it. Or the second highest was nowhere near Poland. Uh, Seoul. South Korea. Yep. And Brussels. Oh. Interesting. I know. I thought that was really interesting. I love that. The city that loans the most books on average is Tokyo. Oh, okay. Yep. Right. The more well, you know. We have to go play in Europe right and on. Asia, guys. Yep. Let's go we to do. Europe and Asia. All right. Well, I can't afford to go to Europe and Asia right now. So let's jump into a book. <laughs> Yeah. that we already have on our shelves <laughs> yes we'll we'll travel you know through time and space in the comfort of our couch nia what are you reading or picking up next uh so i'm rereading book of shadows because refreshing myself for today just kind of pulled me right back into it uh and i'm also reading inanna lady of the largest heart i'm actually a little sorry i didn't pick this up for our last chapter they are translated poems of the sumerian high priestess and hedwana and what makes this super interesting so you have just a put into perspective what time frame we're looking at here this priestess was writing when cuneiform was still relatively new right so one of the cuneiform, earliest writing forms in no, it, it is the earliest yeah, form the of earliest writing, writing form 4500 bce like they were writing before egypt was hey, in my an defense empire. in my defense i have not read a book all about papyrus fair you know what yeah, it wasn't so, on papyrus. They used to form clay with their palms. Tablets. 
And then they would write it. And then when they needed a new page, they would turn it over. So you could always tell what was page one and page two because page one would be flat and page two would have the curve of the palm. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So uh, that's, Sumerians that's invented the time envelopes. we're looking at. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I yeah. double minored in so history just... and anthropology. I could go on, but I won't because it's Nia's <laughs> turn to talk. Nia. Yeah, it is. So, so, yeah. So we're talking cuneiform. We're talking 1700 years before Sappho was writing her poetry. And about 1100 oh, wow. before Homer. Okay. That is the time frame for this book. Yeah. And I'm super excited to get into it. So that is yeah, what I'm I reading right feel now. Like I, I feel like I need to pick that up. Are you reading this hard copy or digital? Yes. Okay. Hard copy. I imagine that would be hard to read digitally. So that's I don't gorgeous. Know if it is. Dig- I know, right? Isn't this pretty? So yes. this came out, it was published in 1989. And this latest one came out in 2000. Oh, no, this came out in 2000. Okay. Some of the sources were earlier. But yeah, this came out in 2000. Obviously, the original source material is much older. Wait. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah. So that's what I'm reading right now. So Sydney, what about you? I am continuing and finishing as you wish. I'm really, really close to finishing Carrie Owa's memoir about the filming and and making of The Princess Bride. And that's been really fun. I'm also continuing with The Life of Crime. Life of Crime is this fascinating book about the creation and history of crime fiction. That's right. And I got it. I got it electronically, but I've seen the the hard copy book and it's like four inches thick. Oh, that's how you bring it. It's well over a thousand pages. Yep. Yep. (laughs) That is is a book club breaking book. We should have a whole episode on on book club breaking. Yes. Just all the books that you should never take to a book club. (laughs) I have, I have a list. Um, This book is, this book is well over a thousand pages and it is, it's not that I'm not reading it. It's just, it takes a lot to get through it because there's a lot of history. Yeah. So, so it's, it's I'm, thick and dense. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's well written, I have to say. And the, right. the narrator is British. And so it has this fun, whimsical air to it. If you're listening to it, which I realized I needed to because it's over a thousand pages. But so what's what's the audio estimate for that? Uh, let me pull that up for you. You know, you talk about there's just a lot to take in. I felt that way about... Um, 1962 mm. or was it 1968 by mark kurlansky it was really really good but a lot of information yeah just yeah. fact after fact after fact again really yeah. good but a lot of information it's actually actually surprisingly shorter than i thought it's only 17 hours and 44 minutes oh i was gonna guess 18 so you can okay. get through that in a day i was About 24 I was... <laughs> hours in the day 17 hours of your audio book pop it on 1.5 and go baby yep. just go um i was thinking it was closer to 25 there have been some books that i've had 25 hour ratings Man. on and i'm like whoo all right buckle down where's your road trip when you need one right <laughs> right <laughs> so anyway that's that's what i'm at annie what about you i just finished proud and i'm bringing this up because i mispronounced her name and i feel really bad so it's proud by Haj muhammad finished that great i'm getting through 1984 on audio which is so much better as an audiobook just going to throw that out there. Really? Okay. Uh-huh. Good to know. So much better. I don't know what my problem is, but Sydney, well, now I can't remember who said it. One of you said that you don't see pictures necessarily when you read. It was Nia, wasn't That's it? That's me. Yeah. Yep. I'm the same way. I get really 
bogged down by the formation of the words and the sentences and just the, I don't know, the format of print books. And so when I'm able to listen to 1984 in audio, I'm able to actually think about what I'm reading. So it's been a much better experience. Awesome. Cool. I'm also trying to get through Babel. Babel? We decided last time. I think it's Babel. Babel? I think it's Babel. The uh, The Tower of Babel. I'm not going to get through it by the time book club happens because it's uh, a book club breaking book. <laughs> that thing is huge. Have you looked at it on audio? Yes. Because it is no. huge. I've seen it. No, I have I've not seen it because there's a nine month wait for audio. Oh. Oof. So I'm not going to my book club this Maybe... month because I can't get through it. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's one of those it. where you, you break down and, and buy the, uh, the add-on on Amazon. Nope. <laughs> Okay. If I can't read it through my library for nine months, I'm not going to read it for nine months. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's so, what I'm reading, picking up next, working through. Fantastic. I like okay. it. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Nia, just because you'll get a kick out of this, the book uh-huh. that you were talking about, Inanna, Lady of Lady of Largest Heart, uh-huh. you can get it on Amazon paperback for $25 or you can get it on mass market paperback for $75. <laughs> yeah, it's out of print. I don't know. They're both oh, paperback. Yeah. Why would you want to pay three times as much for something that means nothing? So when you get into any out of print books, you will uh-huh. find some fascinating price points. It's ridiculous. Fascinating. It is. I I thought you would get a kick out of it, so I thought I would share with all my friends. You know, I have one copy, one copy of Journey to the Center of the Earth. It's got to be like a Reader's Digest magazine mailer thing because Uh it is seventies tastic, and I'm only holding on to it because it is a piece of memorabilia from the seventies, and I know that thing has got to be worth (laughs) a ton of money compared to what it was sold for. Oh, and it I'm has sure. the price on there, but I look every time I look at it, I think I could buy a lot of donuts if I were to sell that book. <laughs> is, that, is that how you think is in donuts? It is sometimes. Yes. Hey, I, I just that. I wasn't aware. Well, no, I, I thought to know. I could pay for my child's college education, but I can't. There's no no rare. There's not a rare enough book for me to pay for a child's college education but some donuts fair enough okay all right well on that note friends thanks so much for listening to this chapter of the book stack as we sign off we'd like to leave you with some food for thought and we'll see you next time when we discuss our favorite biographies and autobiographies remember you can connect with us on twitter at bookstack trio and follow us at bookstack trio on instagram and facebook to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack if you read a book from the stack let us know what you thought on social media you can also find us on our website at bookstacktrio.com books are the quietest and most constant of friends. They are the most accessible and wisest of counselors and the most patient of teachers. Charles W. Eliot.